and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, here with my co-host, Bethany Ruff. Hello, hello. Thanks for joining us. And today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Eileen Smith is a somatic experiencing practitioner with the Somatic Experiencing Institute founded by Peter Levine. She is also a certified professional coach through the GROW Training Institute and holds a master's degree in mental health counseling and in exercise physiology. Eileen has passed the National Clinical Mental Health Counseling Examination, qualifying her for licensure in Arizona. Eileen's work is rooted in the principles of somatic experiencing and attachment theory. Her training in trauma healing provides a foundation to help clients resolve trauma symptoms and relieve chronic stress and pain in the body. Integrating several modalities into her practice, including talking, touch work, and movement, Eileen helps support body tissue memory and the nervous system to create synergy between body and mind. Her work supports clients in developing a deeper and safer relationship within and ultimately greater capacity for resilience and joy. Eileen, what an honor to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Hi, thanks for having me here. Um, it's just so, always so funny when um, I hear someone read my bio. I'm like, oh, wow. I'm like, I've done all that. <laughs> <laughs> we always joke around and, and ask our, our guests if they want us to read it twice. If it feels really cool, we can we can read it all again. I'll, I'll start over. Eileen Smith is a somatic. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're good. Well, I think once through it, once through is, is enough. But it, it's just always it's always so interesting. Yeah, to, uh, super cool. And you have accomplished. You have accomplished a lot. I, I try to get Bethany to read my introduction every time I walk in the room and it doesn't work either. So that's okay. Uh, I'm super excited for this conversation. It's one that I am going to sit back and let the two experts go at it. Um, I, I, both of you just know so much about this topic. I'm, I'm perfectly happy to sit back and enjoy the conversation. So Bethany, why don't you uh, go ahead? I am so excited for this. So this is somatic experiencing is something that I've recently started to kind of stumble into and learn about. Um, and I actually found you on a couple other podcasts and I'm just absolutely fascinated by Dr. Peter Levine's work. So on that note, I would love to start with some nervous system calming breaths. Can you guide us through some of that? Sure. So um, one of Dr. Levine's uh, favorite exercises is something called the VU exercise. And what we're doing is we're working with the VU exercise to um, regulate the nervous system by um, touching into the vagus nerve. So it's a pretty simple exercise. Um, I would invite you to find a comfortable seated position, um, Maybe, you know, allow your feet to feel planted on the ground. Just notice that you're being supported by a chair or the ground that you're sitting on. And close your eyes. Take a couple of deep breaths. So I like to inhale for two and exhale for four. And just to start regulating and calming the nervous system. And when you're ready, you're just going to make the sound of vu, and it goes something like this. You're going to just take a minute in between boos and just let your system settle and see how you feel. When you're ready again, we're going to make the sound of boo. And 
so I'm not going to do it four or five times, but I do invite people to do that exercise and, and do it about four or five times and in between to take some breaths and to just start feeling into your body a little bit more. But it, it definitely works on the vagus nerve, which we'll get into a little later. Um, but, and, it, and it helps to start rebalancing the system. And it's, I think it's one of the fastest and easiest ways to recenter your body. I love that. That is it's so calming. I have to say that when I practice that type of breath, in between breaths, I definitely notice more of a blank slate or clean canvas in my mind, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it sort of clears things out, doesn't it? So let's dive right in. What do you do? What is a somatic experiencing practitioner? Okay, so um, the Reader's Digest version of what a somatic experience practitioner is, is someone who has gone through Peter Levine's uh, three-year training through the Somatic Institute, Somatic Experiencing Institute. Um, their website, just if anyone's interested in more information on somatic experiencing, is traumahealing.org. And um, in the three years of training, it, it's rather interesting because as a student of the work, they also make you become a patient of the work. And I think it's a really powerful, um, a powerful part of the training because most people that come into the training are some sort of body workers or talk therapists. And it gives you a whole other perspective of and a whole other way of doing therapy. And I kind of want to, I think it's really important to help people make this distinction between why somatic experiencing is different than other talk therapies. So with somatic, so we have, we have what we, we typically know in talk therapy is um, what we call a top-down approach. And the, what that really refers to is that and a top-down, you're focused on speaking, thinking, and current emo emotional awareness. And this all happens in the top most part of the brain. So like the neocortex, the, free free, the frontal lobe, the prefrontal lobes. So you're, 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 you're approaching therapy with this idea that if I change the way I think, I'm going to change the way I feel and I'm going to be able to change my behaviors. So top-down top down therapy is really important because what it does is it helps us get into a deeper relationship with ourselves. It, help, it helps us understand our past. Um, it helps us, helps us I, I would just say, understand the why of how we're functioning. So bottom-up is very different. And we start therapy in the parts of the brain located more in the base, like where the brain stem is. And this is the part of the brain that's responsible for reflexes, uh, memory, the autonomic nervous system. And the language of, of that part of the brain is, is sensation. And so with with, with bottom-up therapies, what we're doing is we're starting with the more primitive parts of the brain. Um, and so, so we're working, we're working like, like we're, we're looking at the language of sensation because our perceptions, believe it or not, our perceptions are developed 
as we piece together our sensory experiences. And um, this is this is why when there's been a lot of trauma, people tend to experience life with the reactivity of fight, flight, or freeze. And so that's that's that would be like the big difference between systematic experiencing is a bottom-up a bottom-up approach. Soma means the body. So it's more of a body-based therapy. Um, so we use sensation as the entry point to begin to reconnect with the body and um, eventually restore, restore ourselves to a sense of safety. Because if, if we've been traumatized, we lose, the big thing about trauma is we lose our sense of safety. And so in somatic experiencing, we're teaching, we're building the body back up as a safe container and we're teaching um, the, the recipients how to comfortably move through their life and move through these sensory experiences rather than trying to circumvent, circumvent and move around them, right? And use maladaptive behaviors because they can't co- actually cope with what they're actually feeling and their sensory experiences. Um, so in the process of somatic experiencing, we kind of reset the nervous system and we help create um, a greater sense of accuracy in where safety and danger really resides, which what that ultimately does is it allows a person to be more present in the here and now. Um, I know that was a mouthful, but that's kind of the gist of it. Yeah, no, that's a um, great explanation. And just before we continue you. moving on, trauma, you know, I think that word in at least our culture today has a drastic, specific, heavy kind of feeling. And someone might underplay or downplay their experience as trauma because they don't feel like it was something that was traumatic. How do you identify what is trauma or define what trauma is? Well, it's so interesting what you just said, because it's so common and so typical with trauma that people that will try to, uh, I guess, invalidate or dismiss it as a survival mechanism, sort of like, oh, but there's people, you know, that wasn't so bad that um, I got beaten as a kid. There's people that have been raped and people that are starving in the world. So you hear that, you hear that a lot in people that have actually been traumatized, you know, have had, had chronic um, stress and trauma. So um, how do we define trauma? People always think it's about I, and this is this is like I'm going to try to break this down in several different ways and and not go all over the place, but I might. So just reel me back in if I do. Um, trauma is not necessarily about an event. It's about how we um, receive and perceive an experience and how our body responds to it. So you know, several people can experience the same, the same event and have 10 different reactions. So how traumatized a person gets has a lot to do with how they went into the experience and how safe they feel when they come out of the experience. So we think of, you know, we hear the word, we hear the word PTSD a lot. And so people think the tip, right? The easy one is a war vet right? A car accident. And so those are, those are acute experiences. 
but there's something that um, we don't talk about a lot, which is something called complex PTSD, which is a series of stressors that accumulate accumulate over time to create um, a really um, dysfunctional and imbalanced nervous system. So when I think of trauma, I think of, I really think of not so much the event, but I think of how a person's nervous system um, is, uh, is functioning as a result of the experience or the result of the experiences. So like with complex PTSD, and, you know, we, we see this so much with people that have um, had a lot of childhood um, adverse experiences. Like, and so are, are you familiar with the ACE studies? I don't think I am. Okay. So let me, let me, this would be really, really helpful for your audience too. So there's, there were these studies done. Um, I think they surveyed probably over 20,000 people, 20,000 adults. And the ACE questionnaire, I think it asks 10 questions and the people that had, and so adverse childhood experiences is, are the questions, right? Like how, you know, if, did you grow up in a house where there was yelling and screaming? Did you experience physical abuse? I don't remember what the questions are exactly, but the higher person scored on adverse childhood experiences the more um, mental and physical health problems they had as an, as an adult. Mm. And that is a result of what I would call complex PTSD or um, what people might consider little T's, but the little T's, you know, add up and, you know, they're, they're basically, you know, a series of events that overwhelm a person, leaving them feeling defensive and helpless um, in their lives. And that will spill over into, into adulthood. I mean, and you even see it in adults who have been in abusive relationships, um, you know, and we, and we see it a lot in children where they're, um, they grew up in a house where there was abuse or neglect. Um, so, you know, little T, big T, it doesn't really, um, it doesn't really matter. I think the important thing is to look at is the residual um, the residualness of what has happened. So like they, you know, they, they, they talk about little T's being like interpersonal conflict, infidelity, divorce, um, relocation, financial troubles, legal troubles, all those things would be considered little T's. So, and the reality of it is to some degree, we all have exposure to events and uh, that could be small traumas, but you know, how resilient are you going in and how, how, if you move through the experience with a sense of mastery, you're not going to get, it's not going to be a traumatizing experience. And I think that's the difference between what, what separates something that becomes traumatic or a traumatic event versus something that doesn't. That's a really great explanation. And I, I'm blanking on it, whether it was Dr. Peter Levine or just was recently quoted in um, Kimberly Ann Johnson's book, The Call of the Wild. I loved the description of trauma being too much, too soon, too fast. And oftentimes, That's Peter, for sure. Peter. And <laughs> yeah. um, it, it definitely seemed like, like kind of making the relation a few questions in advance to animals and how in nature 
they deal with completing the circuit of trauma. I feel like that's where humans get stuck is not being aware of what's going on in sensation and then emotion and how that's registering in the tissues themselves. We just kind of move on to the next thing. And that trauma cycle never has completed and fully worked its way through our system. So it's something we hold on to whether we're aware of it or not. Can you talk about in nature, how animals deal with that? Sure. And this is, it's, it's, it's great that you're bringing this up because this is how Peter's work started. So he was studying, I guess he was curious about um, why animals in the wild don't get traumatized and why people do. And what he ultimately discovered was that traumatized, um, when people, when animals have, have a, have experienced a, let's just call it a potentially tra- traumatic event, right? They're, they're experiencing danger, they're life-threatening. Um, they may be chased by other animals, they're getting mauled. They, um, there's two things that happens. So when they are, and this actually explains how, what happens to humans, right? When fight or flight doesn't work, they go into freeze and an animal will go into a tonic like a tonic immobility so that they don't have to experience what it's going to feel like to get killed. So everything shuts down. So, right. They go into that free state. Um, so, but when, okay, let's say they survive. What they do is they, they shake their bodies. Their bodies will shake to reset their nervous systems. It's like, they're taking that that energy that that was gets locked up in their body when they've had all this adrenaline and and their fight or flight and or or freeze responses are kicked in, and they shake shake shake, and then they get up and move on. So what Peter I guess learned was that there's this biological completion that happens, and that we as humans actually need to be doing the same thing. We need that biological completion to reset our nervous systems, file the trauma memory where it belongs and move on. And so what we see when, when people have not had that biological completion is that they live in the past. And so like trauma has no sense of time or space. And so that's why you see best easiest example, right? The war veteran that hears a muffler, a loud muffler or some loud noise, right? And they flip out. They think they're back in the war zone. And so when there's been that biological completion and they have, and a person has experienced some sense of mastery moving through the experience, then they can reset and move on. And so like what I see a lot in my practice, and I do a lot of touch work in my practice. So I I have people on a table and I'm working with the adrenals and kidneys and brainstem and, and the fascia is that, you know, there's, there's a lot of heat shaking and tears that come up as people are trying to reset the nervous system and and moving through a, a traumatic experience that they had. And, um, you know, they generally like through, through that release, we'll generally be able to, we'll get to a place where we will, we'll walk through the experience. And, and often what I'll ask is, is what would you have done if you were able to have de- to defend yourself? And people, you know, it's always it's always some sort of physical movement, and we'll get into their body movement, and they'll start using that movement over and over. And 
and almost have this experience of I of defending themselves. And that helps create the biological completion that, that I'm talking about with the animals that people need. That's so and it's, interesting. Oh, it's fascinating. Like I've seen, I've seen some crazy, crazy things happen on the, on, on the touch table um, and, and off the table too. You know, you, people like I had, I had this one client, I'll, I'll never forget this. And he had been bullied as a kid and he, he, you know, he talked about this experience of being in camp and, and, you know, we, we started moving through the experience and we'll just call him Jack. And I said, Jack, if there was anything you could have, I I brought, what I did first is I brought, I said, well, if, if somebody could have been there with you, who would have it been? Who was your safe person? So we invited that safe person into the therapeutic experience with us. And then eventually we got to that place of, you know, what would you have done to defend yourself? And he's like, I would have kicked and punched. And for the next 20 minutes, he literally just kept moving his body, kicking and punching, kicking and punching and crying. And we moved through it and he was done with it after that. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's, I mean, like those are the types of things you, things you want to, you wish you had a video for because they're so powerful and it's so powerful to see someone complete a trauma journey. How do you find, I'm thinking of my own, I was hit by two vehicles from behind about uh, two years ago. And I find that anytime a car gets creeping up a little too close for comfort behind me, I just have this urge to like, I'd get out of the driver's seat if I could. And I suffered a little bit of whiplash from that. And I noticed afterwards, luckily, because I'm in this field that anytime any life stress would come about, whether it was emotional or relationship, physical, it would manifest in the area where I experienced the trauma in between my shoulder blades. And until I identified that and could sit with that, that was always a sensation that I wanted to run from. But let's say, you know, the average person that's maybe working more than full time, just a fast paced life. Do you have any tips or tricks, any way someone can tune into, do I even have trauma stored in there? Like you don't know what you don't know kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. But I think, I think it's so interesting because the body doesn't lie, right? Like think about, think about where the stress point became, right? So if somebody, if somebody is experiencing physical pain in their body and they don't have, you know, a good explanation, right? For it, then you know, I always think that, that it's your nervous system telling you that, that something is off balance. And so, you know, things as simple as the boo exercise thing, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of movement. I think gentle movement is always a really powerful way to reset the nervous system. Um, meditation, breath work, you know, all of these things are, um, they're, they're, they're hacks for the nervous system. But if somebody, you know, I think the big thing is if you, if you're living your life and you don't, and you feel like there's something not right, because I think we know, I think it's, it's what we choose to do with it. You know, if something feels off, then I think it's really powerful to, if, if, 
if you're willing to do it, is to start asking the simple questions of, you know, how is how is my past impacting my life today? And right, a lot of times we don't know. I'm I just invite, I will invite guests to um visit my website. Um, I do have a link to my book website. And on there, there's um, a series of assessments that I developed with a researcher. It took us over a year. But the first assessment on there is um, a trauma sensitivity assessment. And the assessment is basically not how traumatized you are, but how, you know, to what degree is your past impacting your life today? And, you know, the questions are, are pretty straightforward. I mean, and, and I think that's always, you know, if you score high on there, you know, it's, it might be time to invite your, invite yourself to um, start addressing it. And look, that's a scary thing to do is, is to start, um, you know, start opening that can of worms. But what I do know is what's on the other side of that healing journey is something really powerful. Yeah, no, definitely I know uncomfortable, I, but worth the work. Yeah. And, and the thing is, we have to, we can't move past things unless we are, are going to move through them. And, and, you know, I think people are always, um, you know, wanting to fix, you know, when is it going to be finished or, or, or they want a quick fix. And the truth is creating a healing lifestyle and being on a healing journey there's no, there's no quick fix to it. And, um, you know, I always tell my clients, I'm like, things didn't get this way overnight. So you can't expect things to change overnight. And, and the changes you want is you want to have them to happen. You want them to happen organically. Yeah. It very you much know, seems like it, in our Western culture, it's like produce, grow, push, there's always like, you have to, in order to get, you have to be giving a ton. And I just think if we can like soften into ourselves and allow things to come to us and through us, it's so much more of a seamless and ends up being a less painful route. Oh, for sure. And it's, you know, I tell my clients, the slower we go, the faster we're going to get there. And, you know, it's funny. I had, I was, I was with a client yesterday and, and we've been working together about six months. And the big, the big thing for her is, you know, she's, she's, she's so in her head. So she's, you know, she's always into the why and all, and I've, I've spent the last six months with her really working on, we have to get into the, what you're experiencing. And we have to get into, if we can just be with where we are rather than trying to fix it, and we can be in the observation of it. We're, that's that's the big the big piece of this is we have to get present, and we have to understand in our bodies that we're safe enough to be present. Because when there's been so much trauma, the idea of being present is virtually impossible. Like think about think about your own your own situation with the car accident, right? There's been a big trauma. My guess is when you're in the car, it's so hard to just be present. The big piece of working through the trauma is beginning to allow ourselves to observe what we're experiencing. So eventually, eventually our bodies can be 
we can be embodied with what we're experiencing and not be in fight, flight, or freeze, or, you know, or ruminating about the past or future tripping. And do you find that's the same case for whether it's physical or emotional trauma? I do. And the it's interesting because with physical, when there's, when there's, like I, I always think they go hand in hand, but when there's a lot of physical pain, people are going to do anything they can to distract themselves from it. So rather than being with the pain, there's always the question of why am I feeling this way? Why is this happening? What I want to solve? How did this happen? Where did this come from? I see, I see that, you know, that's, that seems to be a very big thing, thing when there's physical pain and, I, and emotional pain too. You know, like I think there's always the notion of if I understand it, I will feel better. But that's not really what needs to happen. I mean, we really need to be able to tolerate the sensory experience and be with it. And, and recognize that we're not going to die from the physical, the, the, that physical sensation. So let's uh, circle back. We talked about the vagus nerve towards the beginning of our conversation. Can we talk a little bit more about what its particular role is in the body and why it's so crucial? Sure. So the vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve. And what it does is it, it sends signals from the gut to the brain and the brain to the gut. And it really does play a big part in how the, um, how the nervous system is regulated. Like the, the more we can get that nerve to be balanced, the greater capacity we have to regulate the nervous system. So that's why like things like the VU exercise and um, movement and meditation, that's all going to create more, um, more regulation for the, the, um, the, the vagus nerve. And so it's, it's, you know, people talk about it a lot. Um, and it's just, it's just really like, it's that piece of, of how we regulate the nervous system and heart rate variability and all those things that are going to either, that are going to keep our, our, our autonomic nervous system in balance. So that's why, you know, it's so important and there's so much, so much talk around it right now. And how is, how is the fascia, the connective tissue of the body? We know that it does a ton as far as being our inner network with nerve communication, but also the inner fabric that keeps us all connected and put together on the inside. How does that play into either holding trauma physically, mentally, emotionally, and how can we manipulate connective tissues to help create a release or find comfort for someone who's dealing with trauma? So it's, you know, it's, it's so much, so many places to go with this one. Um, so, so there's memory, right? There's explicit memory, things that we met, remember, and then there's things that we don't remember. And a lot, I think with the tissue is about implicit memory and a lot about pre-verbal memory. Um, so if you think about how a baby regulates the, how a baby is regulated is right is through being held by the parent or the caregiver right and so so it's it's tissue to tissue and so the body reads the body's reading it's an energy exchange and the body reads is reading 
the tissue. The nervous system is reading one nervous system to the next. So um, like, I believe that when we touch into the body and we touch into the fascia, right? We say there's all this connective tissue in the fascia and all these um, neurosignaling. And so by working with the tissue, um, we tend to, we're working more with the implicit memory of what, what we don't remember. Um, and I think like, and I noticed this working with my own clients is that, um, when I reach into the tissue, I'm really reaching into the sensory memory. Um, and, and the body, the body seems to, you know, it, it feels it's like there's almost like that going into the tissue, at least in my work is a way to help regulate somebody's nervous system. Like I think sometimes I get more work done with on the table with someone because, um, you know, I'm able to tap into the things that they're not the places that they're not willing to go to. And as a body worker, it sounds like you have a ton of experience with a lot of different clients over the years. How have you noticed that it's important for you to modulate your touch or your eye contact or your body positioning, or even the tone or volume of your voice, depending on the body you're working with? Well, I always think the big thing is, um, is that however I'm working, my job is to create the safest environment and, 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 and build the safe container between me and the client, so that eventually they can, they can, they, they know that they're, they, they can actually feel safe relationally. Eventually that safety becomes relationally with themselves. So, you know, a lot of my work that what it goes along with, um, attachment theory. And I don't know how much you know about attachment theory, but it, it has so much to do with how people also wind up, how much autonomy they have and, you know, how they attached as children is, or, you know, and how the caregivers attached to them will impact how they function and, you know, interpersonally as adults. And so my my philosophy on this is create safety in the relationship, build a healthy attachment with the client, and then eventually that it's they can reattach to themselves. So it's like it's it's helping them build a sense of mastery in relationship and and fully accept and full acceptance and lack of judgment, um, and a sense of joy. Like my like I my clients and I have fun together. You know, that's, you know, there's, you know, we, we laugh. Um, my clients, you know, I'm, I'm very unconventional in my therapy. My clients know a lot about me. They know about my own trauma history. They get to see how I've healed and how I'm living my life now. And all that helps, helps them to start having a real relationship. Um, and so I think that's a, a big, a big piece of the therapeutic process. And, you know, what makes, you know, what makes all of the work so powerful. Do you find that it's ever too late in life or too far from someone's root trauma to address 
what's happened to them or around them that they've stored in their bodies? Um, you know, I never think it's too late. I think that a big part of it is that there has to be a willingness. You know, if there's, if there's a willingness, willingness to, to shift, then, then, and, you know, people, and then, so there's, with there's intention, I think that there's always possibility. I never, I never like to think that someone is, is a lost case, but if, you know, if I have like, I'll, I, I, this is just for me as a rule, I can't work harder than a client. And if I have client, a client that doesn't really want to do the work, I know that we're, I'm going to fail. And so I would, you know, make another recommendation for that client, but, you know, cause I, I, I believe that, you know, I'm here to facilitate and help, but I can't help those who don't want to really be helped. That's so interesting. It's like my favorite uh, phrase ever is like when pain increases, hearing improves. It's like change, change is hard. <laughs> Facing some of these things is really hard and painful. And, and oftentimes, you know, if the client's not ready, there's, you're right. Like there's not much you can do. No. And, and the thing is that I, like, I'm really careful about educating my clients before we even start the process. Because what I see as part of building the safe container is being really clear with my clients is we're not going to go back into your traumas. If it comes up and you're ready to, we go there. But the reality of it is I'm not here to rehash your past over and over and over. And so I, some, what I think sometimes is for people that are skeptical, I feel like the education process is such an important part of building that safe container. Because without, without that, with, you know, people, a lot of people don't even want to start the process because they're like, oh, I'm going to have to go back into all of those things that I don't ever want to think about. And, um, and I think that's one of the really cool things about the somatic experiencing work, because we're really looking at the real story, the real, the, the story that we tell ourselves and the relationship that we have with the story is one thing, but the body sensory story is a whole other thing. And so I, I believe that if we can change the sensory story and we can change someone's um, interoceptive experience and the interoceptive ex experience is how you experience yourself from the inside out, like how you feel temperature, how how you feel touch, how, you know, all those things that come from the inside. I think when we can change that, because it also changes, that changes our relationship to the outside world. So when that, when we can feel safe in all those things, it changes, it changes the relationship, even with the story that you have about your past. And it becomes it gets it it winds up staying in the past where it belongs. It doesn't have to be in the here and now. So yeah, it's a, it's really hard to go in there. But if if somebody really understands that this not isn't about like ripping them apart again and and making them feel bad, that this is a, this is really more of a yes, a difficult and and maybe and tiring process at times. 
but the changes will happen organically if we can work with the sensory pieces. And what a powerful way to, once you can identify and start to put feeling or words or sensation or just even presence to something that's been implicitly stored in your tissues for maybe your whole life, that's got to have a positive cascading effect on all the relationships around you because you would inherently have to become less reactive and more real time in tune with what you're feeling. So your emotional responses, I would imagine with other relationships in your life would become only better. And a hundred, 110% because if you think about it, the, the work is to really take someone out of their survival um, mechanisms or their survival coping skills of fight, flight, or freeze and be able to bring them more into presence to be able to be, to put words to their experience, right? So it's the difference between maybe somebody being reactive and yelling all the time versus saying, I notice that I'm feeling really uncomfortable when you use those words. So, because when we, when we're, when we've been traumatized, we're, there's often a big disconnect of being able to put words to your experiences. That's and, just, oh, it's so fascinating. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. It, it is fascinating, but that piece coming online that's why the, when I talk about this observing piece is so important because it slows everything down and it, and it keeps people out of their survival um, mechanisms. I just think back to being a little kid and being a bratty little kid and being frustrated or not understanding how I felt. And I mean, probably like a lot of parents doing the best they know how to do, you know, we'll send you away to your room to cry it out and have time out. But if you could at that age instead start to learn how to put words to what you're feeling. I mean, just what a better setup for life. <laughs> think about how different, right. It, it life would have been. I mean, I know for myself, I think, I think it took me until, and I'd been in therapy for years, you know, 35 to 40 to be able to really articulate um, what I was feeling rather than just being a ball of like, you know, just, just verbally vomiting over if something, if I was triggered by something. Mm. Wow. So I've got a kind of personal question for you. I've had the joy to be able to watch Bethany develop in her work and working with people. And, you know, she's got to dive into a lot of this stuff and, and seeing her learn new things. It, it's almost like it's coming out of her. Like it's coming through her. You can definitely tell that she, yeah, she's got Sorry, a gift. Guys, yeah. No, it's great. It's, she's got a gift for this kind of thing. And it's been really cool to watch. And she works really hard and, and reads a lot and is learning constantly. But for you, for you and your experience with this, I'm curious to know if, if there was a time when you thought you wanted to do something maybe like with your career and it kind of failed or, you know, didn't work out the way you wanted it to that, that set you on this trajectory to now do what is your life calling? Well, it's a really good question. Um, so I, I mean, my story is, really kind of, um, some, I'm sometimes I'm like, when I look at my story, I'm like, wow, I, I decided to go back to school for psychology in my early forties. And when I was doing my internship, um, I was at an eating disorder clinic and I got, I was turned on to this work and being that 
I had been in my own talk therapy since my 20s, I got to this work and I'm like, oh my God, this is so the missing piece. Because I was asking myself this question of, okay, I, how do I, I've been in therapy for years. I understand all my issues. How can I still feel so dysregulated at times? And, you know, the, and so this was the thing that made sense to me. So it was, it was a very, it was so clear to me when I got to this work that this is, this is what I need to learn. This is what I need to do for myself. And this is what I need to bring to other people. And I felt so compelled to really dive in as a patient of the work because I'm, I'm always in the zone of you can only take your clients as far as you're willing to go yourself. So I, you know, I got deep into this work and um, like, you know, here I am, my nervous system is like finally feeling regulated. I'm, um, I'm feeling calm. I'm feeling grounded. I'm feeling really safe in myself. And um, it's now almost five years. My husband died really suddenly. Like I left home in the morning. He was supposed to go somewhere. He never showed up. Like I left, I left and he was probably, he probably died 10 minutes later. And I had to move through, like, this is, if, if I hadn't done the somatic experiencing work, I never would, like, not only did I survive this, like my self-care was in place and I, as, as painful, I mean, it was gut-wrenchingly painful. I was able to move through the experience with what I would call, and it sounds like a funny thing, with a sense of mastery. I got out of bed every morning. I took care of myself. I got to work. I made sure I stayed really connected with friends. I allowed people to support me. Um, and, you know, five years, I wrote a book eventually. Five years later, my life is thriving. And I attribute it to, um, to, to all the somatic experiencing work that I had done prior to his death and, and since then. Um, so, you know, I would say there was never a moment in time where I doubted that this is, this was the right path for me. Wow. So what, it, what a powerful yeah. real life application of that. I got full body chills when you said that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It, it, it was like, I'm, I'm still, there are days where I'm still like, wow, I'm like, that was a crazy time. And that was so painful, but I, I was able to actually, I, I, I would say this, like, I remember the pains, like I could still feel the pain of that following morning. Right. And, and I, before I even stepped out of bed, it was like, the pain was so excruciating, you know, and eventually, but I was able, the big thing was I was able to move with it and be with it and allow myself to feel it on such a deep level because I'm like, okay, I I'm, I'm still safe enough that I can, I can manage this. And, um, you know, and the more I leaned into it, the, the more I was able to manage it. So I, I, I mean, I just know firsthand that like, this is the real deal. <laughs> Well, the last question I have for you, I'm sure in your own experience going through that, you really relied on the people around you and sense of community, even probably with the looks of passing strangers. How can we, especially in the world we're living in right now, create some sense of self-compassion and show compassion to those around us? How can we 
you know, people who aren't body workers or somatic experiencing practitioners, what can we do for those around us to just make the world a little softer and easier for them to move through? So I think there's, I think there's a couple of things. I think that, that connectivity is our greatest healer. And so I would just invite anyone listening to this. Don't be scared to talk to the person at the cash, you know, who's cashing you out at the checkout counter at the grocery store, make eye contact with them, ask them how their day was, have a conversation, take the extra few minutes to connect with anyone that comes into your, your surroundings. It, it doesn't hurt. And I will tell you that it's, it's powerful for you and, and powerful for the other person. Um, I think that, you know, having, having a support system of safe people is, is extraordinarily important um, for us to heal, especially as we're coming out of COVID and to, to take the time for one another. That's such, I think those are the big things. Yeah. That's such a beautiful answer. What an amazing conversation. I've learned a ton and it's been so fun to chat with you. Um, Eileen Smith, where can people go to find you and connect with you and your work? Okay. So, um, the easiest way is, um, there's two things. Um, my Instagram is Eileen Smith healing and Eileen is spelled I L E N E. Um, or my website, which is EileenSmith.com, and Eileen again, I L E N E Smith.com. Um, and there you can also link to my book website, uh, moving beyond trauma, which is also available on Amazon. That's awesome. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Eileen Smith, thank you again so much for um, coming onto our show, for all the work that you've done, for helping to heal so many people and also be vulnerable about your own um, you know, trauma in the past. It's just so meaningful and, and brings a lot of, of healing into the world. And so we're so thankful for you and so grateful that you'd be willing to come on our show. Uh, thank you so much. And um, this is really um, a great conversation. So thanks for having me and really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio.